Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of AdelAndMarcy.com. As always, I'm your host, Adel Marcy, and I am coming live today. Uh, I have a very special guest, someone I'm extremely excited to speak to. I've been checking out this stuff for the last couple of days, and ever since they were introduced to me, I've kind of had a slight obsession with them, but not so much that it freaks them out when I speak to them on this interview today. Now, before we get into that, I want to go ahead and give you a quick heads up on uh, all the sponsorships as always. We've got, today we're sponsored by AdelMarcy.com, StorySellingBlueprint.com, and our very special guest uh, sponsor today is Ellipsis Behavior or Ellipses Behavior. Com. Links will be in the description as always and on the site, but it is I-O-R, not I-O-U-R for my British friends that are listening to this. Now, the reason I'm extremely excited about having uh, our guest on today with Chiz, none other than Chase K. Hughes, is because Chase is a bit award-winning. He is, I think he's a New York Times bestseller as well, uh, but he's an author of a book called The Ellipsis Manual. Now, Michael Whitcoff, who we had on the show not too long ago, um, introduced me to Chase, and it instantly just, I was like, wow, this guy is on a whole different level of understanding the human mind um, and how it affects different people and how they do things. So I had to get him on the show. I was like, right, you've introduced us. We have to get this done as quickly as possible. So I've, we've somehow managed to get this together and we've got none other than Chase Hughes with us right now. Chase, are you there? I'm here, Adol. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this interview and um, taking the time today. Absolutely, my pleasure. Oh, awesome. So just a real quick question because I do want to clarify this. Uh, your book is a New York, New York Times bestseller now or is not there yet no uh it's it's actually only on amazon right now for the next few months until barnes and noble uh picks it up so for now it's it's a number one bestseller in three different categories on amazon right now okay so it's an amazon bestseller everybody and by the time you go ahead and well by the time this comes out and it's been circulated around the internet it should be a number one times new york bestseller as well um so pick it up check it out i mean i i'm ordering my copy this weekend as well it is it's incredible so how did you come up with where you are like how did you get to where you are dude because your story i want to know more about it uh i think it uh there were two big catalyzing events i think uh the biggest that got me started just trying to understand behavior and and read people i was this little douchebag teenager who thought he had you know his life figured out and uh i went to some bar somewhere and we were leaving for the night and one of my friends was like oh why, why aren't you going home with this girl or why don't you ask this girl for her number and i was like oh i don't think she likes me he's like oh yeah she was totally into you and uh i had no clue so of course i went home that night and i went on google and i typed in how to tell when girls like you <laughs> and i spent a few weeks just trying to just understand uh how we how we can communicate so much uh, without saying anything. And when I figured out that like nonverbal communication time and time again, just study after study that's been done is accounts for well over two thirds of what's being said in a conversation. And it's just, I was so amazed that we ignore it. We don't teach it in schools. Uh, a, a clinical psychologist might go, maybe go through 30 minutes of training in body language. And if, these well-respected universities around the country and around the world are doing all these surveys showing how important nonverbal communication is. And then we spend less than 1% of our time on it uh, for people that have psychology as a profession. It was just incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think we've both been there. I think many people have as well as when you actually cannot tell when a woman likes you or a person likes you. Um, just relating to this, one of my best friends used to say this all the time to me. Um, we'd go to like, say even a clothing store, like a department store and I'll talk to the lady behind the counter and I always knew I had a bit of a reputation of being quite a flirt, but I didn't realize where it got me to. Um, and that moment, like he was like, why didn't you ask for a phone number? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? It's like, because she wasn't interested. He, she was like, no, she was, she was, get, she was talking about you. She was keeping eye contact. She was in, she was ignoring me. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you should go back. So, you know, you always go back and ask then, but. It's so key, again, how much nonverbal communication um, is a fact to what we do. 
and even like it verbal really communication as well like verbal communication especially with uh word codes on what we actually look for absolutely and it's it was just shocking to me how we ignore it so much and it what's even more shocking is once you learn it um what people say doesn't really matter as much as what their bodies are saying and you can see so much all of the things we think are private all the stuff that we think uh we can keep hidden really well is actually on public display uh it's just to the people who study this stuff and the people that know how to see it that's pretty cool so i'm assuming like because again i haven't read the book you go into depth with this don't you yeah, we, uh, we have a thing that we spent about seven years putting together called the Behavioral Table of Elements, and we kind of made it look like the periodic table of, of elements. And uh, it's, it basically breaks down every single gesture. It was, we designed it to be a body language, uh, a one-page body re- reading tool for interrogators that are working uh, overseas. Wow. That's... But it turned out to be something really popular that uh, that uh, average people like. Because I think uh, reading a book on body language is, is great. I got started with a book by uh, Barbara and Alan Pease oh. called The Definitive Book of Body Language. I love that book. I, I do too. And it was just that book's hard to carry around in your pocket. So <laughs> we wanted to develop something that was uh, universal that was that was culturally based, like these books are, and that also took things into account like temperature and stress and things like that. That's pretty cool. So there's two things in particular I want to really touch upon because um, they're so in, they're, they're interesting to someone like me um, because I spent I've spent the majority of my life in uh, direct response copywriting and really understanding how to persuade and sell through the written word, you know, verbalizing things and how that all works out. And again, as you mentioned, I'm essentially working on a one-third percentile of how we communicate as human beings. So that's kind of like the area that I come from. So that's the area I come from of the world I work in because I've done everything from telesales, door-to-door sales, online sales, direct mail, you name it, I've done it to the point that it's just boring. Like I I said earlier, the thing I, um, I touched upon this, for me it's words. I look at how the words affect the human mind and how um, we have cognitive biases to certain words and why that stops us from moving forward in a persuasive conversation or why someone wants to buy something, yet they don't and they don't understand why they don't want to buy it. Like, it makes sense on paper, but why do I not want to put the cash down? And it's sometimes just down to the word choices that the person speaking to them has made that's triggered something unconscious that puts the brakes on. But because of that... Absolutely. But because of that, I did want to go into like something that's a lot more... I think it's it's more towards the governmental side of work, but it's still incredibly interesting. And that's the hostile hospital and the um, and tactical psychology. I mean, if you could speak about that just a little bit more and just give us some information because they are life-saving systems. Yeah, those were uh, two systems that uh, we don't teach very often now. Uh, I'm still on active duty in the military. Okay. Um, but we developed the hostile hospital for... Uh, we started developing it for people that were working in psychiatric wards or emergency rooms where uh, a patient uh, may not be in the right state of mind and may it's it's not an angry person it's not a vicious person it's just a person that's uh, that's kind of lost their way in a hospital and a lot of times the doctors and nurses don't get much uh, training on it and if they do get training it's usually uh, a 10 or 15 minute PowerPoint. Um, just pulling somebody at the hospital, pulled some stuff off the internet and stuck it on a, on a slideshow. So we, we used this tactical psychology of this. It was like a mixture of hypnosis and verbal judo and a bunch of other things, a whole lot of confusion tactics, um, to basically render some of these guys safe, uh, for at least the amount of time it would take to disarm them. Uh, so that was one thing that we we developed, and it, I only developed it because uh, our next door neighbors here in Virginia Beach, uh, uh, my friend's wife there was was a nurse, and she had mentioned that that was a big deal. And obviously, uh, it, it sounded like a cool program to make, and I thought we may make some money off of it, so we moved forward with that. But the uh, tactical psychology uh, was something that we developed for 
um, government type uh, psychological operations that aren't just regular psyops like uh, when people hear psychological operations they assume like big mind control stuff people getting strapped into a dental chair or something <laughs> like that uh, but most of the time it's it's these guys are sitting on PowerPoint and uh, making little flyers to drop out of an airplane to land in a village to sway people's uh, opinion about a leader in in a particular region Wow. But we developed the uh, tactical psychology for uh, operators that are out in the field. Um, and it's kind of just uh, basically everything that's inside of the tactical psychology training that we teach is now uh, in the ellipsis manual. All of the confusion, all of the uh, how to interrupt someone at the right time, how to make body contact at the right time, how often you need to blink, how often you need to breathe, all of the little intricate details, depending on how how in-depth you want to go. That's why we wrote the ellipsis manual to kind of include everything in there. That is amazing. I mean, anyone that's in any facet of life should be reading this manual just simply because it it's applicable everywhere. Now, something that I did want to like jump on because this is more, again, for me as a male uh, living in England, that has still faced the whole idea of I still cannot tell when a woman likes me. How would you, uh, like, what would be like the key factors I would look for in an interaction? I'll give you the top three, and these are not the ones that you're going to see in Maxim or Men's Health or Cosmopolitan, <laughs> wherever you're looking. Uh, so these are the top three that you'll see in in real human life on planet Earth, uh, not something that an author pulled out of a, a an internet article. Uh, the first one would be pupil dilation, and our pupils will dilate up to about 44% maximum, uh, their normal size. Uh, when we look at a person that we're physically attracted to. And it's really cool the way they proved this. They took uh, men and women and exposed them to a series of photographs. And you know, one was a naked man, one was a naked woman being shown to men, the naked man shown to women. Uh, and obviously men's pupils uh, responded the most with these random photographs to the naked woman. The women actually responded the most to a picture of a woman holding a baby and the naked man got second place. Wow. But that was the study that kind of proved that uh, pupil dilation uh, really strongly correlates with when we look at someone that we're physically attracted to. The next thing you're likely to see is um, the other person's nostrils will flare while you are speaking. That's if you're within uh, probably usually about two and a half feet of the other person. And this is kind of an animal instinct that we still haven't gotten rid of. Our brains haven't changed in 10,000 years. But this was one of the instincts to smell the breath of the person that you're attracted to. And this is another way that we, we gain nonverbal information about another person because the smell is nonverbal communication as well. Wow. Okay, so we've got nostrils, we've got eye contact, so the pupil dilation is increased. Yes. And of course, you know, you see the nostrils flare. So it'll be the third. The third would be any type of eye contact that lasts longer than seven seconds would be almost a guarantee. Um, and I'll give you a fourth here in a minute. But the average average eye contact in the United States and normal conversation, everyday conversation, even with your family members, is seven seconds. And we tend to look away or cough or do something to avert our gaze somehow. Um, so anything that goes over those seven seconds is absolutely uh, – a really strong indicator of attraction. And a fourth, uh, especially, uh, I, I would assume that most of your audiences is guys. Yep, most of us men. Uh, so looking at women, uh, and this is something that has no studies to back it up, uh, but I challenge, uh, challenge you guys to take a look next time you're doing any kind of uh, dating or pickup, they call it. Uh, the woman's hand will go over her stomach or her lower abdomen during um, the conversation. So usually while the male is speaking. Okay. That's – wow. Okay, now, you, now you're saying this. My brain's kind of like filtering through the last three conversations I've had. And like My brain's going, I saw that, I saw that, this happened, and yeah, she liked you. <laughs> So I'm like, great. Now go run back. But it's always one of those fun things. Now, kind of like jumping off of the very fun topic of attraction. 
again, because most of my audience does work in the business world. It's most of us are entrepreneurs. It's what we do. And as you know, like understanding how to influence yourself, because I assume the ellipsis manual actually talks about self analysis and how you can persuade uh, yourself to find the admin password of your brain, basically to go ahead and reset the structures so you can have them work in your behavioral uh, patterns. Correct. Yes. And I, I, I didn't specifically include uh, the techniques or the skills to do it on yourself there in the book, but the, the methods would work um, pointed back at yourself as well as I would point it at another person. Yes. Well, that's cool. So can we talk about that a little bit uh, further? Because I know changing personal behavior seems to be one of the hardest things for a lot of people to do. I mean, we've seen with um, smoking still, it's quite a big thing considering everything that a lot of people have tried to do uh, to deter it or take people away from smoking it's still one of the biggest uh, problems that we face today and one of the hardest habits to kick. Absolutely. And, and the changing yourself part of it uh, only accounts for a little bit of the ellipsis manual where I was talking about, I'll talk about it here in a, in a bit. Like, um, the development part is, is really crucial. Um, and working on your own behavior, working on yourself is one of the biggest things you can do. It's even more important than levels of influence. Uh, because some of the guys that approach me, um, and I'm not going to, I won't call anybody out, but it's amazing how many people want to learn influence and they want these mastery level skills. But I can tell that they don't even make their bed in the morning. And it's amazing. Like I want the keys to be able to control another human being and I don't have the discipline to get my dishes done or make my bed when I get up in the morning. Uh, so I would say, uh, I want to talk about authority, you know, but definitely the biggest thing. Um, if you want to take control over another person, you need to have control over yourself and you need to be a respectable type of person. And I would say there's, uh, with the people that are doing influence, we're talking about working on persuading and influence. There's four types of people uh, that do it. And there's the mastery level, and we use medical metaphor here. So mastery level would be like a surgeon. As really seasoned, he's, he's been out there, he's done everything, um, and he basically calls the shots. He can, get, he can probably talk someone into committing a murder or maybe getting a false confession in a police interrogation room if he was a uncle. Uh, the next level would be the nurse. Has a little bit of training, able to do a little bit of damage, still not up there. And below that would be like the medic or EMT level. And down at the bottom, you have the regular guy who watched a few episodes of Grey's Anatomy and thinks he's a doctor. <laughs> cool. And that is actually more common uh, than the other three. And it's amazing that, um, have you ever heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? Surprisingly, this is something that I've been really going into the last couple of days because a friend of mine had this huge conversation with me. But yeah, um, please feel free to explain it further right. as well. Sure. It's a, it's a cognitive bias where people with low ability or low levels of knowledge suffer from what the definition calls illusory superiority, where they kind of mistakenly assess that their abilities are much higher than they actually are. So these, this group of scientists prove that people with lower information tend to think they know more than they actually do. And that's one of the biggest mistakes that, that people can make. And, learning any type of behavior engineering, the worst mistake you can do is gloss over something that you think you already know and not really realize the difference between knowing it and being able to completely do it in the field or in any situation that you'd like to apply it in. It's kind of like reading a book about riding a motorcycle and then going out and buy a Ducati without any kind of training. <laughs> uh, the book can only give you so much. <clears throat> yeah. Does that make sense? Entirely. That that is extremely. That's a very extreme apt um, description of exactly 
what you're saying, which is basically why would you? It it's it's there is no better way than to actually put that together. And I'm losing my words because I'm fanboying really hard right now. This is this is fun. This is the second time anyone on the show has ever heard me fanboy this hard. So congratulations, Chase. Um, Thanks, that, but that being said, like I'm really well sure. on that point. Uh, if I could expound on that just real quick. Yeah, by all means, please take over. This is like with with anybody that's trying to do this. If you guys have my book, and by by no means is mine the best in the world, um, but if you are trying to learn behavior, you're trying to learn psychology and influence other people. There are no shortcuts. It's like uh, learning. If you can imagine learning to play the piano at a concert level, it takes time and it takes a lot of practice. And it's another thing that you cannot read books about to get good at it. You have to do it. You have to get out there and put yourself in this situation and you can't put, go on Fiverr and have somebody do it for you. This is something that you've got to put in the effort for just like being a surgeon or the concert pianist has got to put in his time. But then there are the guys who go on YouTube and you can learn a few tricks and trick people into thinking that you know what you're doing with behavior. So eventually um, tips and tricks are just tips and tricks. They're not going to push you to the level of mastery. They're not going to get you really where you need to go. And that was the whole reason I wanted to write the ellipsis manual. I wrote that book for myself and I wrote it for a contract uh, that was open a while ago um, with a company here in Virginia where basically they wanted a system that you could teach a person to talk someone into committing treason, uh, basically spying uh, within uh, a few hours. And that requires mastery level. And these guys wanted like, uh, well, let me just see if you can teach us here in like a week, one week class. Like, yeah, I can teach you the information, but I can't give you skill. And eventually you guys are going to wind up where your discipline carries you. Either you're able to compose a symphony on the piano or you're able to trick a few people into thinking you know how to play. Yeah. And that's kind of the big distinction. There. Yeah, that's a massively big distinction. I'm currently, I'm actually learning how to play piano. And when I started to play piano a few years ago, just, just to pick it up, um, it was with a concert pianist. She's absolutely amazing. The only problem was um, the learning modality that was given to me was read this book and practice at home on uh, just, you know, using visualization or just read a book. Now, obviously, I didn't really go ahead and practice at home because my mind wasn't ready for that. It w that wasn't its main objective. So earlier this year, I decided, hell, I'm going to go invest in a piano. So I bought a piano, put it in my apartment. I, th I played with a concert pianist. I spent six months with her training i can barely remember what i what i learned i've spent no no more than four hours on this piano i can already play three different songs and know the chord patterns to everything big difference i didn't read i just practiced keeps difference yeah great could you say that again chase you're, you're cutting out just in and out a little bit here So that's a great piano. Yeah, bear with me one moment. I'm just going to quickly run a quick test for us on this side. But just very quickly for the people listening at home, if you haven't already done so, while I'm checking out what's going on over here, because uh, we seem to be cutting in and out, um, go to Amazon right now. I don't care where you are in the world. Go buy the Ellipsis, uh, Ellipsis Manual, please. Do yourself this favor, get it, and start using it, because it just... I'm already like looking at this order going, yeah, I'm going to wait till the end of this, <laughs> to this uh, for this show to actually order it because forget waiting for the weekend. I want that book here tomorrow so I can read it when I go back home to see my parents. Um, but, but yeah, just go check that out. Now, kind of like going back to, oh, great. So we're back on. That's great. Um, going back to like a behavioral psychology level, like as far as it goes with, um, understanding how some could actually be persuaded to commit treason what drove that like what, what was the uh what would you say would be the biggest factors in that system i mean do you still teach that or is that something that's just 
again, at the level of mastery that someone must practice to get to. Of course, with great power comes great responsibility because anyone that has that level of persuasion would truly understand, don't do it. Sure. I, and I, I definitely hope so. And uh, I think the, the ellipsis manual is a weapon. It really is a weapon. And I, I manufactured it uh, in hopes that most people who buy it will use it for good. Yeah. Um, but along with the, with the ability to talk someone into committing treason or talk someone into committing a crime or talk someone into doing something that's not in their own best interest, uh, there's obviously a lot at work there. There's profiling, there is uh, body language reading, and there's a lot of exploiting fears and weaknesses and insecurities and the book teaches you how to do that. Even if you're a therapist and you and you use those methods in therapy to help a person, um, I don't I don't see an ethical issue with that whatsoever. But uh, another big one it goes back to that authority. And uh, have, have, are you familiar with the, the Milgram experiment? No, I'm not. What is the Milgram experiment? Uh, there was a, a doctor at I think it was Yale. Uh, his name was Stanley Milgram. And he basically had volunteers go in and shock another person. And anybody who's taken uh, some, I guess, 102 or higher psychology courses, uh, this is one of the biggest things in all the textbooks, to where a volunteer uh, was willing to shock another person uh, to, almost to the point of death, even with the person screaming and begging to leave. Just because a guy wearing a lab coat uh, told him the experiment must continue. They're, they were never forced and they were never ordered. And somewhere around the, the, the number around 80 uh, percent would shock a random person just because of authority. And what's what's funny about that, it was it was authority. It was a man in a lab coat uh, at Yale University. Uh, just he could talk a stranger into committing murder in less than a few minutes for no other reason than him having on a lab coat. And that was just perceived authority. It wasn't even real. And the perception we have of authority allows for what, what Dr. Milgram called the agentic shift, where our actions are no longer our own. So we don't feel accountable for what we're doing. We become an agent acting out of the wishes of this other person. And authority is so powerful that it overrides our decision centers uh, in the brain and literally shuts off our sense of personal responsibility for our actions. Wow. So if I'm correct, I think the book was actually written to, to uh, not the book, the experiment was written, was done by um, Dr. Milgram, just simply to answer the question about Nazi war crimes, because that's when it was really like, people will start to answer for those war crimes back in the 60s. Yes. Wow. That's crazy. Sorry, listen, you said Psych 101 and 102. My brain just went to, oh, yeah, I remember this experiment. And then as you went into it, I was like, <laughs> that was the yeah. name of it. Um, but wow, that that's, that's incredible. Um, so when it comes to actually garnering authority, is there something someone can do to start garnering it? Or is that just entirely just, hey they worked really hard to get to the position they're in, or is there a way they can manufacture authority in today's day and age? Absolutely. Uh, definitely practice impeccable hygiene, uh, because that was one of the things that uh, Dr. Milgram identified. Um, and it goes back to what I have personally identified, and it's in the ellipsis manual. There's an entire uh, book on how to hack into people's authority responding centers in their brain. Uh, but it kind of goes back to five qualities, and those are dominance, discipline, leadership, gratitude, and fun, or just a sense of adventure. And those things are kind of what we identify as leadership behaviors that cause people to follow and cause people to kind of shut off their own responsibility center, where they'll just kind of do what you ask them to do. But the discipline is one of the biggest things, having having that discipline to where um, people want to follow you. You're in great shape. You take care of yourself. You make your bed in the morning. You don't make excuses. You don't complain about stuff. And you've got – you've basically got your shit figured out and you handle your business. Wow. That's incredibly powerful just how those little things can be shifted and easily attained. 
Right. And, and since we do, a lot of us read body language on a nonverbal level, um, we're communicating influence just without doing any technique. Like if you leave a, a six-foot pile of laundry at home, there's a part of your brain dedicated to remembering where that laundry is, even while you're at the bar with your friends. So that little part of your brain continues to remind you that you're screwing up and it doesn't stop, which, and it comes out in your body language. It comes out in your speech and your breathing and other people subconsciously pick up on it. And that's a lot of the times uh, any of the female listeners I'm sure will say when they just get a weird feeling about a guy, everything's perfect. He talks perfect. He's got great confidence. He's cocky or whatever they, they're looking for, but something feels wrong. And that's where that something feels wrong comes into play. That's where the authority part comes into play. So somebody that handles their business um, is is way more likely to, to do influence on somebody. Think of the difference between Charles Manson and the famous hypnotist Milton Erickson. Charles Manson didn't study hypnosis, didn't study influence, but he had a, a harem of women who would die or kill on command just for him. Wow. And that's authority. That's the socially perceived authority that takes place there. That is incredibly powerful and so true. And something I did want to ask your opinion on, because um, these are books that I genuinely love reading, and it's something I need to revisit because, again, psychology month for me is always May. Um, I've just refinished. I've just finished up reading uh, through the True Believer again. Um, but based on that book, and also, what's the other book? He's uh, crystallizing public opinion. Those two, Edward Bernays. Uh, is that Bernays? Edward Bernays. Yeah, Edward yeah. Bernays. Um, what What was your opinion on those books? I mean, considering all what you know now and what was written back then, because a lot of what was written back then is still relevant today, but it's evolved, obviously. And it's it's maybe, I don't know, but for me, it's fair to say that what you've written is essentially the new coming of what Edward Bernays' work would evolve to. You are the evolution to all the work that he had done, and you've just taken it a whole new another level, in my opinion, at least. Um, but what would be your opinion on uh, Edward Bernays and his work in crystallizing public opinion? I think uh, that book's fantastic, by the way. And, and, and reading it for me was, was difficult because there's not a lot of examples in the book. Same. So if I read a page in that book and I didn't apply it to something or write it down with an example, I, it was lost. I, I, I kind of lost it. Uh, that book definitely got me started. That was one of the first – I bought that book when I was in a Borders bookstore in Singapore on uh, a deployment when I was like 20 years old. Wow. And that was the first time I read it. But that was the book. That was one of them that got me started. Okay, wow. So what was your – have you read The True Believer yet or not at all? I haven't even heard of it, but I wrote it down here just since we've been talking. I'm going to look it up. Uh, the True Believer, just to give you a quick side note, and for anyone that hasn't read this, The True Believer was actually a study in movements and how they're formed. And specifically, this was written just shortly after the Second World War. Um, and the psychologist that wrote this and the person that wrote this evaluated how Hitler had actually built the Nazi party to become the movement it had been and how he had quickly gained power, authority, and became the man he is to lead, a, a, you know, to lead his forces the way he did. Um, and the true believer is so powerful because it, again, combined that with Bernays's work together, you essentially have the ideal makings of how to create mass psychology, how to create mass influence and how to essentially, how it can all go wrong because the true believer's actual work, it's more or less a forewarning. It's like you can use this for good, but if you use it for bad, this is all the things that can go wrong with it. So be careful. Um, and just to like backtrack a little bit, because this is something I do want everyone to understand. Just like a martial art, uh, as a martial artist myself, just like a martial art, when you understand the true power of what you can do, it's always the smartest move to never do it unless absolutely you have to, or it's in the name of good. Otherwise, you're just basically abusing a strength, in my opinion. Are you doing martial arts on your cat right there? Oh, I wish. No, he's just meowing because he's saying hello. So Chase, meet the other Chase. Y'all get acquainted. Um, 
ladies and gentlemen, as always, he's awake. The other one's asleep, so that's fine. They've uh, my audience barely like sometimes just hears him meow. Other times they just hear him be quiet and sleepy. Today just seems like he's in a bit of a mood because uh, it's just him. But no, um, that that being said, as I didn't actually know your active duty still. So I still am. Yeah, I didn't know your active duty right now. So um, Navy or Army or Marines? Navy. Perfect. Wow, that's amazing. So what what guided your um, choice to Navy? Well, I was uh, 17 and uh, in high school, and I uh, didn't do too well. So <laughs> I, I didn't think I'd even make it to college. So I needed something to help me grow up and uh, just to become a man. And I joined the Navy. I turned 18 on board a guided missile destroyer in Hawaii. Wow. But again. It was, it's been fun. And it's afforded me a lot of uh, a lot of great training and a lot of great um, great schooling uh, that you can't get in the in the civilian world. And that was where, um, I, you know, I went to the uh, I, I took a class here in the military interrogations and interviewing, and uh, that was where one, our instructor in this class uh, started talking about this Manchurian candidate stuff. Yeah. And I went home and uh, looked it up. Because I've been studying influence, but it was kind of the regular influence, just kind of off the Internet, out of a regular book type of influence. And he started he got me on this path to, to this more darker stuff. Um, and I, fi- I found out about Dr. George Estabrooks at Colgate University, who did Manchurian Candidate. And I thought to myself, I want to recreate the program. I want to make it I want to prove that it's possible. And that was uh, another goal of the ellipsis manual was to publicly release the information so other people could prove it themselves. The the entire process to create the Manchurian candidate is in the book, 100%. Wow. And I also wanted to put to rest permanently uh, on, on a worldwide scale. I hear uh, hypnotists say uh, you can't be hypnotized against your will all the time. And I, I wanted to put that to bed also. Okay. So what's your answer to that? Do you, I, I believe that you can be hypnotized even against your will. Yes. And, and that is an age old question. I think a lot of hypnosis practitioners will, will say no, uh, mostly because that makes the client, it makes the hypnosis client uh, feel uneasy if they hear stuff like that. Yeah. Somebody, some of them will say yes, but I think the number who think that it's possible and the number of people who are truly capable of producing a hypnotic state without someone's consent are two very different things. Yeah. Uh, but let's let's take hypnosis out of the equation for a moment and say, can you be given an injection of antibiotics against your will? Yes. Yeah. And the question really shows how the hypnosis question unfolds. And if you investigate it a little bit, for you to be injected with antibiotics against your will, that would require you to be restrained or the doctor would somehow have to sneak up on you and give you the injection. And that implies that, one, you know there's an injection coming, and two, that you know someone has a syringe with the intent to give it to you. So same thing with hypnosis. For you to have the ability to resist, you'd have to be given some choice in the matter. And anyone who's ever got sucked into a really good movie or found themselves at the end of an infomercial they didn't even intend on watching has been hypnotized against their will, which is pretty much every human on earth. So there's another way to deliver these antibiotics if I'm going to keep continuing with these medical metaphors. Go for it, please. They're absolutely amazing. If someone slipped them into your food and you had no idea, was it against your will? Or was it simply without your consent? And this is the distinction. Against your will implies knowledge and choice. If you're unaware of the process happening, the will doesn't enter into the equation. The will doesn't exist because there's no choice. There's no awareness. So now it's the debate of the will versus awareness or consent. Can you be hypnotized without your consent or awareness? Absolutely. We are hardwired to do that. We're little hypnosis machines, every one of us. So willpower 
is no longer a factor when awareness isn't present. And on the subject, hypnosis is one thing, but behavior engineering is a whole different animal. Uh, hypnosis is a great tool, but it's only one tool. And the behavior engineering uh, in the book here uses psychological profiling, and you're reading the person's weaknesses and fears. You're reading their face. You're processing every body movement. All of your movements are targeted to that person. And they're not only just hypnotic, they're laser targeted to the person that, that you're speaking to. Their entire brain is on this silver platter for you. And when you're in the game to help people, uh, therapy or counseling with another person becomes extremely quick and easy. Wow. So you cannot be hypnotized against your will if you know it's coming. But you can be hypnotized without giving consent because you have no idea what's coming. Yes. Wow. So I would say hypnosis against your will. Um, sure. Yeah. You can resist anything. You can resist a police officer too. Um, hypnosis without your awareness or your consent is a completely different story. Wow. That's incredibly powerful. Now I'm going to usually at this point of the show, I ask a very specific question. I'm going to ask this uh, one of the two questions because they seem the most relevant here. Now, sure. again, like I said, the majority of the people who listen to my show are in business of some form or another, or they work in the coaching section as therapists and people love to help. My question here really is, as I'm assuming here, um, again, you are the expert here, when it comes to actually changing behavioral patterns and you know all the other fun stuff that we've spoken about, Confidence is massively is is a massive key that in, that assigns um, authority to you, because without you can be an authority, but without confidence, your authority isn't really respected. In my opinion, um, I could be completely wrong here, but so if I am, please correct me. But under that notion, if someone's confidence is rocked for whatever reason, that may be happenstance, some bad thing happened in that day. How does someone actually change their behavioral patterns to re-engage their confidence and build it back up? That's a fantastic question. Uh, that is uh, one of the most common questions I get. And the ability to bounce back when something like that happens comes from your base, your foundation. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of gurus out there who have uh, tactics and little tricks, uh, focus on this, take some deep breaths, all this kind of stuff. But that goes, I think, I'd like to suggest that you guys try this on, your listeners try this on, that this goes back to your, your base. Do you have friends? Do you handle your business? Do you have discipline? Like if your life is in order and you really handle your shit, uh, it's really hard to get knocked off and it's really easy to come back if you do. Huh. That makes a lot more sense. Again, someone that has all their shit together essentially has no reason to lose their confidence, right? Right. And that's a person, I mean, that's all, all the way down to uh, late uh, or overdue uh, bills coming in the mail. That's down to, like, I slept through three alarms this morning. That makes you easier to knock off. So that, just the ability to, to go through life on purpose all the time instead of life happening to you, um, developing that discipline is what creates that environment. It's not a trick. There's no, uh, there's no bumper sticker quote in the world that's going to give somebody confidence in the moment if they get knocked off their horse unless they've got their shit together. That makes sense. Way more sense. That's been mind-opening. Now, real quickly, um, Chase, is there anything else that you want to throw in right at the end here, buddy? Because, like, the floor is yours. I mean, uh, this is one of the very few podcasts where I've been the quiet one. And I'm 
so happy that that's <laughs> i apologize case. i hope i haven't been talking too much oh hell to the no my dude i've literally loved every moment of this i'm actually like a few of my friends have messaged me then they're asking me like hey what are you doing why would i say i'm on a podcast like who is i'm like i'll send you the link after you need to listen to this go buy this right now <laughs> ask me questions later and trust me you'll thank me um but real quickly just by all means please tell us uh anything else that you might want want us as the viewers and the listeners of uh, your work to actually know um, to move forward. And of course, as always, guys, go ahead, go to Amazon, get the damn book. There is more than enough reason just listening to show why you want to do this. Uh, well, I don't, um, I would, I'll, I'll give you guys the biggest four mistakes that I made and that my students make, and these are not in the book. Uh, so this will hopefully shave off a year or several months of, of heartache from your listeners here. Uh, and I haven't shared these before. Okay. Uh, the first one is, and these are the common urges. These are three common urges. The first one is the urge to make your profiling training public and tell the person that you're speaking to. This is a strong urge because if you're getting really good at reading body language and you spent the last several months on it, um, you're more likely to probably brag about that than the mountain biking trip you did two years ago. Wow. And this is one of those things that guys will get in a conversation and be like, oh, I'm, a, I'm actually a body language expert. I've been studying it for like six months, so I know everything you're thinking. And it's insane. Uh, it, it throws people's defenses up, and it, it creates nervous reaction. And remember that if you create nervous body language, then you're going to create a nervous person. Um, second would be the urge to call people out on their weaknesses. I teach people in the ellipsis manual, how to identify human weakness and based on that, how to identify what their fears are, uh, but not to, not to use them for, for a negative influence, but how to use those fears as a leverage point. Um, and there's a big urge to call people out kind of like a mind reader or somebody that's doing cold reading, uh, to try to impress others and, that, that is not a good thing to do. Um, we're all weak. We are all suffering and we are all, we all seek attention and approval from other people, every single one of us and calling attention to someone's weaknesses, uh, social or otherwise is, is just a bad mistake. Instead of calling attention to it, keep it quiet and use it. The third one I would say would be the urge to call out deception. Because once you uh, go through the lie detection training in the book, um, which I've backed by research, um, it's not just a bunch of conjecture like a lot of the books out there. Uh, it's, it's really tempting to call people out until you realize that every single person you talk to is full of shit. <laughs> every human being is going to lie to you. And the temptation to call people out and say, oh, no, 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 I saw you scratch your nose a few seconds ago and you uncrossed your legs to try to convince me. And the people will just try to call their friends out all the time. It's not productive. It does not. It doesn't make you look cool to call people out. Wow. And the last one is, um, if for anybody that's getting to the mastery level of this, uh, to where you can do uh, Darren Brown type stuff, or even uh, there's levels far beyond that. The the first time you see somebody become hyper compliant, where they'll kind of do what you want. Um, especially without their knowledge that you're doing anything is a scary experience. Uh, it's that moment when you realize you actually see that people can be programmed to do anything. And it's one thing to read it in a book, but when you see it happen in front of you and you're the guy that's pulling the levers, it changes you as a person. And I, I swear to you, this happens. And when it does happen, the first few times, it's it's scary, and a lot of people feel guilt. They feel guilty, so they want to pull the plug. Um, but if you're in the game to help people, then you have to get over that and move forward with your actions and keep going with the behavior engineering process. So those are the biggest ones. Uh, when I first started uh, seeing compliance, like hyper uh, extreme compliance in other people, um, I thought it was a fluke. And then I thought, well, maybe these people are just really highly susceptible to influence methods. 
And then I realize it's everybody, including myself. We're, we're all susceptible to it. I, I don't have some kind of uh, miracle vaccination because I know all of this stuff. I'm still susceptible as almost anybody else. Yeah. And I would uh, advise that when you guys are looking for resources, and uh, my book is not the only one. There's thousands of them. Um, I know the feeling of like getting angry, and I'm sure you do, adult, is where uh, – you get products in the past because they have a really great sales pitch, like, oh, talk anybody into doing anything. <laughs> and then uh, going through the material and studying and having a really genuine hard time finding relevant and useful information. Like it sounds good. It sounds like you should be able to use the information, but it's it's just not there. There's nothing really there. Yeah. yeah I'm guessing we've all been through that. That's very, very true. So I apologize to people that have gone through this. It was probably another copywriter that probably wrote it, um, went out there. But Chase, thank you so very much for being so open and coming on the show and actually doing this because I've loved every moment of this uh, interview. I appreciate that. I had a great time and a great conversation. And uh, if you guys, uh, any of your listeners want to go on the website for the next, uh, I'll leave it up there for eight months, I'll, I'll say. Uh, with just your first name, Adel, uh, I will give a 45% discount off of anything in the store except for the Elite Program Access. Wow, that is amazing. So, guys, go on to ellipsesbehavior.com. And now you have more reason to get this book. I mean, come on. <laughs> He's practically giving it to you at this point. Um, again, Chase, thank you so much for going ahead and uh, doing this. Again, the coupon code is live so it's uh, adil that is live at checkout correct at checkout with the coupon yeah yes sir perfect great guys uh again chase thank you so much for being here guys go check out uh, ellipsisbehavior.com buy the ellipsis manual um asap i'm not even kidding it's amazing it's gonna be amazing i mean i'm getting mine literally as soon as we get off this phone call um I've sped up my time from weekend to like later today to like literally the moment I get on this call. Um, it's insane. As always, uh, see you on the next episode of Adam Marcy Unplugged. Re-listen to this episode a few times. Take notes. Email me. Ask me some questions if you need to. And um, again, just get in contact with uh, Chase Sweat and if you can follow him on everything and promote his work because he's just absolutely brilliant. But thanks again for being here, and thank you again, Chase, for being our, our guest. Glad to be here. Thanks again.